Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Welcome to this week's episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, and I'm Kylie Miller, and I'm joined over the phone today with Dr. Michael Delaberto, who is one of our Extension Economists. Michael, we're glad to have you back on another episode of the podcast. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing fine, Kylie. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, um, today let's let's start with covering next year's plan. Um, what can you share with us to help us make a more informed decision as we're planning next year's crop? Okay, Kylie. Well, first and foremost, uh, the best advice we can give to producers is uh, the basics of farm management and farm finances. Uh, look at the market expectations that you may have and start to pencil in your production costs for next year. What's the break-even prices? What's the break-even yield that you're going to need uh, to have certain crops in rotation? And a lot of that really hinges on to where the market outlook is going to be. Uh, when you look at where, say, the cotton market is now, you know, last week cotton really had a bullish reversal in the market. Uh, the market gradually inched lower. We've made some gains in the cotton market since then. We've actually approached and touched almost 63 cents on the December contract, but that was on Thursday before settling down at a little over 60 and 61 and a half cents, which was uh, a welcome sight of being below sub-60 for a while in the cotton market. Um, But really lackluster demand, weaker oil prices, those are the factors along with the trade tensions that it's really hanging over the cotton market right now. When you look at where the crop is uh, for this year, dryness is occurring in West Texas, some heavy rains. uh, I think it's going to provide a different set of challenges for growers in, in that part of the world. There's been some disappointing yields and some conditions coming out of the southeast, but on the flip side of that, early report, reports of the cotton harvest in the Delta look pretty strong. Um, futures traded in a narrow sideways pattern. It's been like that for the past couple weeks, um, and I think it's really providing, provided a good example of just market volatility really in both directions in the cotton market right now. You know, an unexpected resolution to this U.S.-China trade tension, trade war, whatever you want to call it, um, that could spark some sharp covering. That could provide some selling opportunities for cotton or on the supply side of things. Any kind of drop in yield could really trigger another rally in the market. But fundamentally, you know, what's the direction of prices going? And I think uh, we cover a lot of this when we look at new crop outlooks. We look at the fundamental analysis in the market. Um, we compare supply and demand notes. We look at production, consumption, and, and ending stocks. And, you know, just like any good economist, we have to put a bunch of slides and numbers for those winter production me- meetings we yeah. do. <laughs> and uh, that's, a, that's a joke. I'm sure some people are like, oh, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, that can really give us a good fundamental indication of kind of where the market could be heading. And then when you start to look at the behavior of those futures charts, where the resistance and where the support lines come in the market right now, it can really give you an idea of where the market is going to head with all these outside kind of external factors that are really happening on the market. And, you know, month over month, uh, USDA in their September WASDE report that came out, um, I think it was on the 10th or the 11th of September, um, 
it made a few adjustments to cotton month over month. It did reduce carry-in. It did reduce production a little bit, but it also reduced exports. Now, some see that move as kind of correlating with a smaller crop. Exports and crop size are going to be pretty dependent upon each other. But overall, there really was no net change uh, in the cotton balance sheet. And as long as production stays up with that uh, crop size north of 21, 22 million bales, that's where that pressure is just going to be so hard for cotton to really bust through and get to levels of, you know, 64, 65 cents a pound. Mm -hmm. Um, When you look at where the crop may go for next year, and I guess that's kind of my long way of uh, answering (laughs) your question as it pertains to cotton, but, you know, the early outlook when you look at historical trends in cotton, probably between nine, maybe as much as 11 or 12 million acres of cotton may be planted next year. And that's when you look at – you know, regression analysis, and you look at, well, let's look at the futures price ratios. And really for cotton, uh, they'll compare that to the corn ratio. They'll look at what's the performance of, say, a December co- uh, corn contract versus a December cotton contract. Mm-hmm. Where does that ratio line up? And I think when you start to look at all that and you do all the fancy modeling and forecast and everything, it's probably going to put us maybe close to 10 million acres for 2021. Um, you know, when you look at the abandonment rate being a little bit higher than it is now, a national average yield of, I believe, Texas A&M was using about 850 pounds an acre. That would suggest a 15 million bale crop, which is smaller than what we have now. But we still have that large carry-in from this year's crop that's still going to sit on the market. You're looking at 7 million bales of cotton out there from 1920 that are going to be carried over to the new new crop. So supply is still going to be at 22 million bales. Um, when you look at exports at about 15 million bales, that does decrease the ending stocks. That does give us a year-over-year reduction in our cotton stocks, which could be price-supportive. But again, we kind of keep coming back to, well, where's price going to go for the 2020 year? And I think it could be the comparable levels between that 68-71 cent range that we saw with the 18 and with uh, the 17 crop before that. So really, it's going to really depend on dependent upon weather and really with those early producer surveys look like. I think Cotton Grower puts theirs out at the end of January. Um, the National Cotton Council does theirs in February. Then the USDA will give us those prospective plantings report uh, in March. But that's the situation with the cotton market right now. And I think it's going to be harder for cotton to compete if we don't see you know, some a bump up in some of this, uh, some of this technical analysis in the market, if you will, to where, you know, can we break through that really tough resistance at 63, 64 cents a pound to really kind of capitalize on some of this, you know, upside in the cotton market. And I think we'll know a little bit more on October 10th when the USDA puts their supply and demand report out. Um, You see these tensions with the U.S.-China trade negotiators, uh, you know, the ebbs and flows, the tit for tat, however you want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it could be a positive, but until something really Uh, you know, materializes from some of that, we're still in very much a bearish uh, supply situation for the cotton market. Um, Now, I think when you kind of flip the script a little bit and you start to look at, you know, the competing uh, grains and the oil seeds that are most likely going to compete and maybe command some of those acres, um, we'll start with soybeans. Um, And really, soybeans, it's, uh, you know, so much over the past year has really, really focused on demand. And um, I think 
that's where everybody's kind of, you know, trying to get the crystal ball out and hopefully everybody's yeah. kind of paid their bills and everything else and trying to get a good handle on where this market's going to go. But really, when USDA reduced some of the uh, soybean stocks uh, in their September report, um, you know, I think it brought this supply notion uh, of the soybean market kind of back into perspective a, uh, a little bit because we don't know what that soybean crop is going to yield. Uh, producers in the Midwest, producers in the Delta, we've got crops all over the board. Some were planted on time, some were planted late. So I think everybody's trying to anticipate what is USDA going to see that, uh, that that October supply number at for the soybean market. Um, is that going to provide really a jolt to the market, if you will, to let that market kind of fuel some sharp coverings, maybe spark a price rally. But when you look at the weekly crop ratings that are coming out of the Midwest, they've got heavy rains in some areas. It's dry in other areas. You know, with the pod count, the maturity level of those plants, what is soybean supply going to be? Because when you look at where USDA has supply right now, they've got total production at a little more than 3.6 billion bushels. They've got national yield at 40 uh, 7.9 bushels per acre. Some see that as maybe a little too aggressive. A lot of the market, a lot of the trade has some esti- yield estimates that are below that yield marker right there. So I think that's bringing that supply side uh, into the argument a little bit more now because everybody wants to talk about China. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we've they've made three consecutive buys in a row of some soybeans. They bought about 970-something thousand metric tons of soybeans. It's providing a positive sign, but really nothing to overwhelm the market. So I think we're going to see some kind of progress need to be made on this trade front to where we can really see soybeans take off or maybe that price start to break through some of those resistance levels, um, you know, around that, uh, let's see, I'm looking on a November contract, around that you know, 924 mark, 930, uh, you know, those are lows that we've held since, uh, or resistance levels that have been in since, you know, April. Yeah. Now, you know, support on the 40-day moving average is still, you know, at $8.80 a bushel on the November beans. But, you know, if we break through that 924 mark, I think your next level is looking at 930, and that would be what the market needs. I think you're going to have a lot of producers looking at that range to start to get some sales going in. But, um carry out in the soybean market. I've touched on that with cotton a little bit. We've got a big cotton crop now. The the crop that we can't get in the export market, that's going to be held over for next year's crop. I think soybeans, the fear was for so long, are we going to see that eight, nine hundred million bushel carry in? Some even had a billion with it before. But if supply were to get cut, we start to see a leveling of trade, if you will. Uh, we are making sales to Europe, south of the border. We've seen some progress in soybean exports there. We can't ignore the fact that China's not buying our soybeans. That's just kind of the fact of the matter. But if carry out and that soybean market were to go down, I think that's not going to suggest any kind of shortage or really, really tight market. But I think it's going to start to bring in that run up in the futures contract that's going to be very, very uh, attractive and very much wanted uh, for soybean producers in the market right now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, yes, those Chinese companies got waivers to buy some tariffs and to get beans coming in, but what does it mean? Uh, You know, those purchases were, I hate to say it, a drop in the bucket, um, but... 
you've seen Brazil start to capitalize on the Chinese import market right now. What is their crop going to look like? It's been dry in Brazil. It's been dry in Argentina. They're behind on their soybean plantings. And I say this to kind of get the macroeconomic perspective, but also talk about the fact that what happens in South America is likely to impact us if we can get these trade negotiations kind of, you know, going again, moving in a positive direction, because that's something that we could see some long-term gain out. Uh, Reductions in their crop would give us the opportunity to get into more of these markets. But, um, you know, China's got the African uh, swine fever going on there um, with their hog herd. Um, You know, they've uh, it's an epidemic over there. It's been disastrous. Uh, You know, what's that going to do to their long term needs? Uh, And I guess, too, you know, when you try to put all that down on paper and say, okay, what does that mean for U.S. production next year? You know, I think you're going to see, you know, uh, plantings next year probably fall. um, I think you're going to see soybean acreage rebound um, a little bit, probably goes up to about 82.5 million acres. That's what some folks uh, at some of the trade outlets kind of have it pegged at right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think when you look at where corn and soybeans are right now, um, you know, it Planted acres should go up a little bit right there. And then that that, that goes back to looking at new crop uh, ratios. And really the old rule of thumb is when you look at that November soybean contract versus that December corn ratio, um, the, the lower the ratio, the more attractive and the more appealing corn is to grow, uh, the higher that number, you're going to see more people gravitate towards soybeans. And really that number has got to be about, um, you know, two point. Four is kind of that that magic rule of thumb, I guess. And as an economist, I'm sure some of my former professors are saying, "No, no, no, you can't say that." But <laughs> typically, when that corn ratio, corn soybean corn ratio, starts to kind of you know go down from that you know two three or lower, you're going to see more corn acres go in. But when that corn uh, soybean corn ratio goes up a little bit. You know, once it gets two, four, five, two, five, or even two sits, you're really going to see those soybean acres start to command more because the price is there for growers to essentially just be more profitable with one crop compared to the other. So, um, for producers that are considering, you know, how much should I plant beans versus corn next year in my rotation, I would say start to track where that November. Uh, new crop soybean prices, where the December corn price is, start to look at that ratio and let that kind of be an indicator to you, but also knowing your cost of production, knowing your break even, reevaluating your marketing plan if that's something you have to do. Mm-hmm. Our hedges of calls, puts, how aggressively do you get? How do you set your price points? And those things can really tell you a lot about your ability to kind of bear risk in the market long term versus short term. Um, Going into corn right now, um, you know, corn farmers right now, uh, kind of a different story going on right now because the early corn is starting to be cut. It's starting to move in, move in from the fields. Uh, but that demand side really continues to be weak for the corn market. Um, USDA's got production at 13.8 billion bushels with a national yield of about 168.2. Again, just like with soybeans, a lot in the industry, a lot in the trade think that that number is a little bit too high. I've seen estimates down as low as, you know, 168.8, 167.2. That's where a lot of people in the trade really feel that this corn crop is going to come out. But 
it's really just kind of a wait and see game right now. But on the demand side of the balance sheet for corn, you know, there's challenges in each of the major use categories, and that's feed, ethanol, and exports. Um, that feed category, that's going to attach itself to simply crop size and how big a harvest we have. Uh, on the ethanol front, corn for ethanol um, is about 5.4 billion bushels, and that's down from where we were last year at 5.6. Um, but, you know, it is up from where we were. Uh, I'm sorry, it was down uh, from the 17-18 number and up from the 5.3 number that we had last year. I got too many numbers in front of me, like a good <laughs> economist, I guess. <laughs> but uh, but last year, you know, really marked the first setback in ethanol use for corn since the 2012 year. And when you go back to 2012, we had sky-high corn prices that really eroded any kind of ethanol margin in the wake of that drought that we had in the Midwest. Um, you know, uh, in real time right now, uh, there's a lot of controversy going on with this small refinery exemption. Uh, that's under the renewable fuel standard. Uh, you know, effectively 31 refineries have been exempted from their blending requirements. Uh, you know, the president is expected to announce some blending targets for 2020 that would at least counter a portion of those losses. Um, and then when you get to exports, uh, exports at 2 billion bushels, the strong dollar right now and the large harvest that we think are going to come out of Argentina and Brazil, as well as Ukraine, would likely hinder corn exports. Um, you know, and I think the potential for us to really rebound in exports, and that's going, you know, not to the traditional markets in Mexico uh, and the, uh, you know, South Korean markets, uh, is going to be really, does South America really experience any kind of production shortfall? And that's where we stay in to probably see a really bullish kind of undertone to come into the export market a little bit. And I'm going to bring trade into this, too, because there's so much uncertainty with corn right now. Um, you know, China, China's been importing more corn. Do they import corn from us? No, but they also have the potential to import ethanol from us. They have the blending requirements. They want to convert a lot of their fuel use to ethanol by, I think, 2020 with its goal right there. They want a 10% blending standard. You know, that's just another evidence of how much, how much uncertainty is into the market. What can it do? Um, but it, it would provide a really big price rally if, if the trade tensions can get thawed out because corn and co- uh, soybeans would definitely stand to gain the most. But then you talk about the potential for corn, and that's really something that a lot of people are pointing to. But, you know, right now, I think next year with corn, you're going to be sitting at probably 92, 93 million acres, uh, new crop price ratios favorable corn a little bit over soybeans right now and that's late in uh, that was late in september the last time i looked but you know that could change a lot when we again what is that corn crop going to be just like the soybean crop the corn crop is all over the board a little bit um and i think corn probably has a tendency to maybe trend a little bit lower long term i think soybeans are probably going to pick up some of those acres uh as we go down um you know in corn right now just to throw out throw out a few prices um you know we've seen a little bit of a rally in corn um you know that resistance is still at you know uh 393 a bushel give or take uh that net level of resistance is going to be at 406 but you know um that 40-day moving average of about 371, the initial support under that at 363 to 380, you know, it does provide um, some encouragement for the corn market um, as we think about prices for next year. But again, I think 
it may be until November, December, January, by the time we have a good handle on what was this corn crop, what did it shake out to be, what did we produce for the 19 harvest right there. So I think it's really a wait-and-see game with corn right now because with the reporting and the census data that comes in from USDA and with all the Midwest harvest operations that are really just started, it's it's going to take a little bit of time for that data to come in. Uh, and uh, and I'll, I'll move on to rice right now. Um, rice, you know, the, the harvest has been a little sluggish. Uh, when you look at the, I think the September 23rd crop report, 58% of the crop had been harvested. That's down from the five-year average of a little bit more than 60%. Since then, the conditions have been pretty favorable. Most of that crop is out of the ground uh, in Louisiana, uh, as well as in Arkansas, Texas finished up. But the market, you know, early on, you could argue the market in the futures, even though rice is thinly traded compared to those other crops, you know, it did get a get did get some underlying support from some of those deteriorating crop expectations. Um, but more than a week after USDA kind of confirmed some of those big cuts to rice. It really kind of, yes, it did rally the market, but it would almost suggest that some of those, some of that news from USDA with some of the production and the carryout reductions were already priced into the market right there. Uh, especially on the long grain side, they had huge cuts to rice. Uh, USDA projected the long grain carryout at 19 million hundredweight, and that was down from 29 million hundredweight the month prior. So that was a 33% reduction in the amount of rice carryout, and that was the big driver to why we saw long grain prices in, in the September WASD go from $11 a hundredweight to $12 a hundredweight. Um, you know, and that was a lot by the uh, by the smaller crop we had. We had a wet spring in the Mid-South. Long grain plantings were down as a whole, but we're simply going to have a smaller long grain crop than we did last year and substantially lower than the, than the one we had in 18. So I think that bears price supportive news for the rice industry. Exports have been okay in recent month, uh, recent weeks. Uh, when you look at new crop bids for rice right now, they're still around that 1140, 1150 per hundred weight or around $19 a barrel. Uh, there's been some medium grain bids around the $12 per hundred weight mark. Prices in the Mid-South are a little bit lower when you look at barge costs to get it down to the Gulf. Uh, $11.50 to $12 is where long grain is being uh, kind of bidded at right now. But I think the biggest thing with uh, with the rice market, another Iraq tender could could, could really be huge for the market. Um, the price, and I mentioned this in my September market report for rice, um, we did have a U.S. bid in there, but we were the highest bid. I think Iraq wound up buying some Pakistani rice at the cheapest bid there. But that would certainly shore up some milling activities uh, for some of these facilities at, at the end of harvest, as well as, you know, the traditional markets like Mexico, South America. Uh, Haiti's a big milled market for us. So I think that's Again, some some things to kind of point to to really uh, improve the demand situation for rice. We've got a smaller crop that's dr that's kind of supporting that price increase that we saw. But if we can get some sustained demand going forward, I think it could bode well for um, what rice acres do next year. Now, rice acres in the south, in south Louisiana doesn't fluctuate all that much, mm -hmm. but it would in say y'all's neck of the woods in the delta it could influence some production decisions especially as growers start to become excited about the potential for row rice there with the production cost and again relative competability what's the break-even cost cost of production um 
I think that's kind of kind of a summation of where the markets are, and kind of my thoughts on 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 new crop plantings. If uh, if you got any questions, I'll be glad to kind of, to answer them. But I know that was a lot of information. But uh, Mr. De- Mr. Dennis told me I could just kind of have the floor, so Absolutely. I, I kind of went with you it. Can, <laughs> you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. But before I let okay. you go, or before we run out of time. I wanted you to talk about the uh, ARC PLC meetings that you've got coming up. What do you what What do you have on the agenda? Okay, Kylie. Well, we're going to do um, a series of meetings beginning October twenty second through the thirty first of October, and. Uh, we've partnered with Farm Bureau uh, in this educational outreach, and we've invited the USDA Farm Service Agency staff to come and really provide producers with an overview of the ARC and PLC program. Really, what's changed from the 14 Farm Bill? What decisions are they going to have to make uh, for the uh, 2019 and 2020 crop year? Um, we're going to uh, partner with them. We're going to come in after their presentations and start to talk about the economics of that ARC PLC decision. We're in the process of developing some interactive producer decision tools that can simultaneously evaluate ARC and PLC based on the farm yield, uh, the expected price and yield at the parish level. So really the, the objective is to educate growers on the mechanics of the programs and really you know, developing a price forecast, evaluating the effectiveness of how some of these safety net programs are designed to operate and really what's been a much different market from what we had when we did the 2014 Farm Bill. And markets change year to year. They certainly change day to day. So I think the, the rule of thumb that people and producers thought about the ARC or PLC in 2014 is going to be different than how they view those programs in 2018, given the current track of commodity prices. Um, the Contact your local county agent. I sent them a meeting agenda. We'll be in Oak Grove, Winsboro, Mansura, Rayville, Bossier City, Alexandria, and Crowley. But again, they can email, they can call me. If anybody's got any detailed questions, uh, I'd be glad to walk them through the steps of some of these programs and hope to see them at the meeting. There's no registration fee. Uh, and uh, again, it's that. Uh, they're free to attend, don't have to sign up, come one, come all. We're going to have some informational handouts there, too, and we're going to make ourselves available for any kind of questions and answers they uh, may have. Well, awesome, and if anybody's listening, check our Twitter page. We'll put that agenda out there as well, as long as, as well as our Facebook pages and our parishes and, of course, email as, as well, too. Well, Michael, I guess that's all the time we have today, and, again, I appreciate you being back on the podcast. Oh, no problem. I always enjoy it. If y'all want to have me back again, I'm more than happy to do it. So thank y'all so much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.